0: Good morning, Canaan. We're going to continue our series this morning out of Esther chapter five and six. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Esther, the fifth chapter. Pastor Daniel is down in Tennessee celebrating his mother's 93rd birthday this morning. So I told him, I said, Daniel, you can't miss. Guys like you don't go to parties. You are the party. Don't miss. So he's with his family and, um, we're going to continue in this series. Um, what a what a great morning already with all those baptisms. Was that awesome? Praise God! That was just great way to start the day. So exciting to see people come to faith in the gospel. It's what the church is all about, right? That's our mission: is to bring uh, the truth of what Jesus did for us to those who need it. And we know that the world needs it. The world is broken, and without Christ, we really have nothing. And so truly grateful to see that this morning. So we're going to continue in Esther 5 and 6, and every week kind of seems a little bit like a cliffhanger, right? If you didn't already know the end of the story, and maybe this is your first time hearing about the historical narrative that's been recorded in Scripture about Esther, you leave each week, and if you're not reading ahead, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Well, today, we're going to end one cliffhanger, but we're going to leave with one more, okay? Okay. Uh, So tune in next time and you'll hear another great, great story next week. Just to do a little bit of an overview, we're looking at Haman here. He was a cunning and uh, crafty strategist. He thought he was laying the perfect snare for Mordecai, but no amount of craftiness or cunning can thwart the plan of God. The unseen God quickly turned the tables on Haman and sent him reeling, no strategies, No might is any match for the one true God. So here's our big thought today. Here's our big thought. Sometimes the people of God find themselves in desperate situations because of the enemies of God. Chapters 5 through 6 of Esther remind us that when these situations arise in life, God never forgets his people. Amen? So this week, earlier this week, it was on Tuesday, I was at lunch with a friend and I thought, oh man, this is, what a story. And he filled me in on something that had happened in his family. My friend is in his late 50s. He wanted to take me to lunch and and just catch up. And he said, man, let me tell you about something that happened in my family uh, over this past summer. He said, my son had been struggling with alcoholism for years. He'd never been able to get ahead of it. And it had just always kind of, been a part of his story. And he said, man, it was just enough. It had ruined his marriage. It had just left him alone and isolated. And he was just by himself. And he said, so I went to him and he said, I'd called down to Tennessee to a, a, a center that would take him and would help him. It was a 42 day rehab. And, and I, I went to his house and I said, pack up your things, it's time. And he said, and he was in. And then a couple minutes later, he was out. And then he was in and he was out. Has anybody ever experienced this? You know what I'm talking? He was in and out. He, he knew he needed to conquer this, right? But he didn't know how. He didn't, he didn't know if this was going to work. And so he was scared. And also you're giving up something that he kind of felt like he really had control over, but he knew he really didn't have any control. So his dad started packing his bags, my friend. And he's telling me this story. And I said, what did you do? What did you say? He said, I didn't say anything. I just kept praying, God get to his heart. And eventually as they're talking and kind of going back and forth, he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. He finally just grabbed his son by the, by the elbow and he just led him out to the car. And then they had the drive down, four and a half hours down. And he was in and he was out. Dad, I, I can do this. We're gonna do this. And he's, yeah, one minute. The next minute he's like, I don't think I can go through with this. I think I'm gonna leave when I get there. <coughs> well, it's amazing. He went through with it. And after that 42-day rehab at the beginning of the summer, he came back a different person. Praise God, right? It was a Christian organization that told him his only hope was in Christ. He needed to get his life right. And that's exactly what this guy, my friend, his son did. It was an amazing transformation. So he's been serving at his church. And just recently, he said, I listened in on a conversation when someone came to him and they asked him this. And I thought this was profound. Somebody said, how did you do it? How did you overcome This addiction. Here's what he said God gave me the gift of desperation. He gave me the gift of desperation. You know, we usually don't think of those two things together in the same sentence, right? A gift and desperation. But God sometimes has to give his people the gift. Of desperation. I remember in 2018 when I was really struggling with anxiety, like I'd never had anxiety in my life. And all of a sudden, this door kind of opened up and it was just on me and this pressure all the time. I've shared a little bit about this before, but I'll tell you during the time when I was the most desperate, and I hate to say this, but guess when my prayer life was the best? Sometimes God gives us the gift of desperation to turn us back to Himself. In our historical narrative, God has given Esther the gift of desperation. There's no choice but for Esther to approach the throne of Xerxes. An edict has been signed in all 127 provinces at the beckoning of Haman, and a genocide against the people of God will soon be at hand. It is moving forward. Mordecai has implored Esther to approach Xerxes and to intervene to change the edict. But just kind of by way of reminder of what happened last week, Esther told Mordecai, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there's but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Esther then told Mordecai, all right, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. The gift of desperation. Sometimes God puts us in those situations so that we can really see clearly who He is. In baseball, we would call it rally cap time. That's where Esther's at. The chips are down. There's a great historical book written about the Medes and the Persians by a guy named Robert Collins. I've leaned on it a lot during this uh, section of teaching that we're doing on Sunday mornings. And Robert Collins kind of sets the stage for what Esther would have walked into in the inner courts of Xerxes. Xerxes was in this huge wooden throne that had been built encased in pure gold. Um, he had this huge canopy over the top of him, and we know this from history, not just from the writings of Herodotus, but we've seen it carved on walls throughout Persia. Huge canopy over him and laid with the most fine jewels that you could find anywhere in the world, held up by these golden columns. It would have been quite intimidating. The king would have been sitting there with one foot on the royal footstool, the golden scepter and the lotus flower, the sign of power and beauty in Persia. And there that scepter holds the fate of any person who walked in. Not only that, but in Persia, there were uh, 10,000 elite fighting force called the Immortals. And they were called the Immortals because there was always people training to back them up. If any Immortal was lost in battle, he was instantly replaced. It was like that Portion of the army could never die. And 1,000 of these immortals were the personal bodyguards of Xerxes who stood so that any attendant who came into Xerxes' presence, by the way, they had to come in with their hands in their sleeves, I learned this week, because Xerxes feared assassins. If at any time you stuck your hands out of your sleeves in front of Xerxes, an immortal would cut you down. This is the environment. This is the truth about where Queen Esther is going. Unsummoned. Does that paint the picture? This is a big deal. If I perish, I perish. She is truly in a season of desperation. If you'd stand with me, we're going to read chapter five together. On the third day, Esther dressed up in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she won his approval. King extended the golden scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be given to you. It pleases the king, Esther replied, May the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king commanded, Hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. Verse 6, While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, Whatever you will ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be done. Esther answered, this is my petition and my request. The king approves of me, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. That day Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble and feared his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over the other officials in the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I'm invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. Still, none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. His wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, have them build a gallows 75 feet high. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows Constructed. Father, we thank you for your word. We also want to thank you this morning that it's trustworthy. We thank you that although things seem, you know, it seems like things are out of hand sometimes and, and, and like a runaway train, you've got a plan and you're working all of the time, Lord, providentially moving history towards your ends. Even though we can't see it. Many times we have these historical narratives out of the scripture that remind us of this truth. Every single person in this room is in a little different place in life. And so Lord, we, I wanna just pray this morning that you would speak to each individual heart. That's something that only you can do. So I pray by the power of your spirit, you would use your word this morning to influence your people for their betterment and for their joy in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we read it, Sounded a little anticlimactic, didn't it? Now, there are two types of desperation here in chapter six that we kind of want to track in this uh, story that we read in the scriptures. One is desperation by Esther and her people, and the other is by Haman. And if you're following along in your notes, point one is this, Esther's desperation was God's opportunity. Esther's desperation was God's opportunity. When we are at our most desperate place as believers, many times we see God's opportunity to show himself to us. John Bunyan once said, the Christian is like a great bell. The harder you strike him, the more clearly he rings. Speaking of bells, Esther's approaching Xerxes unsummoned was really the death knell. That's what would happen on a normal day. But in verses one through four, we see from the king the answer that we'd all hoped for, an extension of the golden scepter. I have a picture that actually was taken from the ancient world. Do we have that picture, Jude? Yeah, right here. And this is actually a relief that was drawn. You can see here are the two guards in the back. Um, these are immortals that would have been standing there guarding the throne. And then we've got an attendant here. This is actually Darius Uh, who's on the throne. We don't have a picture of Xerxes, but interestingly enough, Xerxes is the one standing behind the throne as the crown prince. So soon he'll have the lotus flower in the left hand and the golden scepter in the right. But it was an intimidating scene. Although when we read it in scripture, it seems anticlimactic because the story doesn't give you all of that rich history. The people of God would have known, of course, early on in history, exactly what that throne room would have looked like. She gets the extension of the golden scepter followed by whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. That seemed easy enough. Why all the drama? The drama is there because of what we know about Xerxes in history. He was just as likely to depose or even kill Esther as he was to extend that scepter. While she was standing in the inner court, she was already violating Persian law. So I think it would be silly of us to discount this And to say that the prayers and fasting of the Jewish people did not have an effect. It did have an effect. Esther's desperation stemmed from a place of sacrifice and humility. She was willing to sacrifice her life to save her people. Paul tells us in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2 that we as believers are not to only look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Esther's in this situation where she can kind of hide. They still don't know her nationality. Mordecai said, Hey, if you don't stand up and do this, God's going to raise up someone who will save his people. But you've been called to such a time as this to stand up and to be courageous. But you can imagine as a young woman, like her heart thumping as she went to the inner court of Xerxes, this would have been incredibly difficult, but her desperation stemmed from a place of sacrifice and humility. In this particular case, the king shows favor to Esther and God responded to the prayers and fasting of his people because their heart was aligned with his will. This is always important for us to remember as we look at political leaders and government and it seems like things are out of control in the world and many times they are for a short time, but they're really not out of God's control. Proverbs 21.1 reminds us of this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of God. He moves it wherever he wills. God can move the heart of the king wherever he wills. Our desperation is also an opportunity to humble ourselves before the God of the universe. Desperation leads to humility and reliance upon the Lord. That is always a healthy posture for us as believers. Now, you may be in a place right now in your life. As I mentioned before, in 2018, I was definitely in a place where all I had in that moment was the Lord. My prayer life, my time in the word was sweet. My life was rough, trust me, but my life with the Lord was very strong and he delivered me out of all of that pain. Someone here for sure needs to hear a word from the Lord this morning. You're desperate to hear, but are you humble like Esther? If so, what does that look like? In the context of this historical narrative, we see that the people of God humbled themselves before the Lord by prayer and fasting. God's people have a long history of prayer and fasting before the Lord, even before Esther's time. It's something that has kind of moved out of use a lot in the Western world. Prayer is difficult for us to do many times corporately. We're so busy in our lives, but as as prayer leaves the closet, right, it usually leaves the home. And as it leaves the home, it usually leaves the church kind of in that order. But if it's strong for us in the closet, it's strong for us usually in the home. And then in corporate worship, prayer is so vital for God's people and our communication with him. You know, I remember cutting deals with God whenever I was a high school baseball player. Anybody ever do that? I'd be pitching. I'd be up there. Bases are loaded. I got no outs. I three and O count. I'm like, hey, Lord, if you get me out of this one. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about, right? I'm at the last rung here, God. Let me beat my mortal enemies here. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Prayer and fasting are disciplines that should be a part of who we are as God's people. Not whenever we're on our last rung of the rope, but it should be something we practice. Elijah fasted while escaping Jezebel. Jonah's proclamation in Assyria was followed by humility and fasting that led to repentance and faith. Daniel prayed and fasted to the point of exhaustion to hear a word from the Lord. Prayer and fasting should not be unknown to us as believers. We need to hear from God. If we're in a desperate situation, Esther gives us a really good remedy to this. Call all the Jews, call your friends if you're in that place, ask them to pray and to fast with you. Now I will tell you this, and this is kind of a healthy disclaimer, God does answer every prayer. He does. He answers every single prayer. Sometimes he doesn't answer the way we think he should. Amen? but he always answers prayer. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Sometimes God chooses to not turn the heart of the king. So I don't want you to think, well, this is like, you know, this is like there's this little antidote that you can just do every time and God has, that would make you God, right? If he had to do everything you asked. But instead, sometimes he doesn't turn the heart of the king. Paul's going to appear before Nero 500 years after this. Paul's gonna get beheaded for his faith. I think of the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He plotted to have Adolf Hitler assassinated, ended up being caught, and he was hanged to death in jail. Sometimes God says no to fervent prayers. But Proverbs 16:4 is an important verse to remember. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. It's a part of his overarching plan to bring all things and to reconcile all things to himself. We've got to always remember that. And that's been a great theme of this series, right? The unseen God who is providentially at work, even though it seems like things are many times off the rails. Even though our motives may be like Esther's, God's sovereign will is sometimes still a mystery. Sometimes the person still dies. Sometimes things don't work out just right. Sometimes we lose The job, sometimes things don't go the way we'd planned, even after fasting and prayer, but there are lessons to be learned in all of this. In this particular moment in time, Xerxes' heart was softened towards Esther for her request to be made known to the king. Now, you may be thinking, why would she invite Haman to this event, to this banquet with Xerxes? And we're not really sure, but theologians have ideas about why he was invited. Maybe this would make Xerxes suspicious of Haman, right? Maybe a little jealousy in the room. Uh, Maybe she was lulling Haman into a false sense of security. Maybe she was a little cunning. Or she wanted Haman in the room when she accused him of his plan. We're not really sure. It could have been a combination of all three. But at the banquet, the king asked Esther a second time what the request is. And for some reason, she doesn't, Ask him in the moment. Something was off. Maybe she got cold feet. Maybe it was just too much. She'd already touched the golden scepter. Things were going well and she thought, I don't want to mess it up now. Maybe the mood in the room wasn't right. But for some reason, she holds off and doesn't really ask the request. But instead says, come to a banquet tomorrow night and then I'll ask. Now, I want to tell you, in contrast... To Esther and her people's desperation, there's also, in this narrative, ungodly desperation. Haman's desperation was his downfall. Haman's desperation stemmed from pride of the human heart. What was his desperation? He wanted to be worshipped. When Haman leaves the banquet that Queen Esther gives, the scripture tells us that he is in high spirits. That is, until he sees Mordecai. Oh, that Mordecai who won't bow down to him. Haman goes on to list all the things that bring him great pride and make his heart sing with joy, his vast wealth, his many sons, his elevation above all the nobles and officials, and he says, you know what, out of everybody in all of Persia, guess what? Esther only invited the king and I to come to a banquet with her. And then he says this, but All of this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. He's got all this good stuff going for him, right? But man, there's that one stone in the shoe, right? That little pebble that every step he takes, man, it's Mordecai, the Jew who won't bow down to me. I don't quite have everything that I want. This guy is an empty human being. Even if Mordecai were to worship him, you and I know within a week or so, it wouldn't be enough. He's empty because instead of worshiping the one true God, he seeks to be worshiped. John Calvin once made the statement, he said this, that the human heart is an idol-making factory. We make idols out of things, and if that doesn't work, we make an idol out of ourselves. And neither of those will satisfy. They all leave us empty. And all of this, of course, stems from human pride. I've told this story before, but I'm not sure if I told it here, and I think it's funny. So I'm gonna tell you. One time I was leaving Walmart in West Plains, Missouri, and I'm pushing my little cart out. I'm going towards my truck, and I keep hearing this loud thud, right? I'm going to. I'm looking around. What is that noise as I'm going towards my truck? Finally, I see it. There's a guy standing at the back of his car, and his wife's standing right next to him. And he's trying to slam the trunk closed on the groceries. Fook, and it keeps popping open. Fook. So I'm going and I'm kind of like, that looks funny. And she's trying to say to him, because I'm parked right across from him, honey, if you just move this. she's like, like big quiet. I got it. I got it. Fook. But, well, it's not shutting. Okay? And this goes on. and I'm loading my stuff. And I'm just kind of listening now. I'm like, what's going to happen? And she's like, if you would just move this here and this there, it would, it would, cl-. and he's like, fine, you do it. So he goes and he sits in the passenger seat and he folds his arm like a little baby. Okay. And this happens. She moves a couple groceries around, click and shuts the trunk, right? Gets in the driver's seat and she drives. And I'm not joking you, when they pass me, She was smiling and he was like this, (laughs) right? Human pride. The Bible tells us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Haman is a great lesson to us that pride will blind you from seeing all the blessings around you, pride will leave you empty. And never satisfied. I mean, think about it. If the actual problem was really packing the trunk, he should have been thrilled that she was able to shut the trunk so easily. But the problem wasn't really the groceries or the trunk, was it? The problem was pride. Out of anger, Mordecai, Mordecai, Mordecai Haman has gallows built for him, 75 feet tall. Obviously, it was an extravagant way of making an example out of someone who wouldn't bow down to him. As we think about these two lines of desperation, right, we have to ask ourselves, what about us? Which type of desperation do we have in our lives, the desperation of Esther or that of Haman? Do we want recognition for ourselves? Or are we always feeling slighted? Maybe we always feel treated unfairly. Do we seek to be noticed? Does it drive us crazy that people don't treat us the way we think we ought to be treated? Are we always receiving and it's never enough? Never enough money. It's never enough promotions. Never enough recognitions. I never have enough friendships. If so, that is the desperation of Haman. I look at Facebook and I'm like, I just don't have enough friends yet. Do you see how many friends this person had? I didn't get enough likes. There's not enough little hearts. Never enough. We've got to turn from that. Many of our ladies are doing a Bible study on Esther right now. And I read all of the material. My wife gave me the book this week and she said, there's good stuff in here. I was like, give me that, give me that thing. So I'm looking through it and I'm like, whoa, this is really good stuff that a lot of our ladies are going through. And I've got a quote for it. Shelby Turner says this in her book, self-obsession leaves no room for glorifying the creator. It is idolatry. Haman's joy and his rage both reflect what we already know about him. He hates God, his ways, and his people, and it is a warning to us. Our emotions can help us detect what we idolize. For example, we may feel joy when our idol is close, but rage when it is taken away, cell phones. Surely, this is not to say we are guilty of idolatry every time we feel happy or angry, but it is something we learn to be aware of through Haman's story. Esther's desperation seeks the welfare of others. It's not self-serving. It's willing to put her own hopes and dreams on the line for the cause of God. Esther is desperate to see God do a miracle for her people. We're gonna read chapter six now if you'd follow along here. Daniel's so ambitious, he gives me these big assignments. Two chapters. I love this part that night sleep escaped the king. So he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. They found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Bigthana and Teresh, two eunuchs who guarded the king's entrance. When they had planned to assassinate King Xerxes, the king inquired what honor and special recognition had been given to Mordecai for this act. The king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. The king asked who is in the court? Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai in the gallows he had prepared for him. The king's attendants answered him, Haman is there standing in the court. Well, have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse the king himself has ridden, which has a royal diadem on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor, parade him on the horse through the city square and proclaim before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Now, who does Haman think this is about to happen for? Himself. Verse 10 the king told Haman, Hurry and do just what you proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave anything out you've suggested. So Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, crying out before him. Can you imagine the pain? This is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Verse 12. Can you imagine Mordecai? He's like, what is going on here? Verse 12, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman overwhelmed, hurried off for home with his head covered. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. What kind of wife is that? verse 14, While they were still speaking with him, the eunuchs of the king arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. From gallows to glory, that's Mordecai. As all of these plans are coming together for Haman, the unseen God is providentially working. Why did Esther not ask the king the first night at the banquet, I believe God stopped her. Maybe it just didn't feel right, but that night the king couldn't sleep in between the banquets and just coincidentally he said bring the annals of the things that happen in persia and read them to me like a phone book probably trying to go back to sleep and he hears this story about mordecai saving his life and he forgot to honor him it's in between these two banquets that xerxes realizes this a jew saved him who did he send out the edict to kill all the jews And this is just the softening of the heart and the plan of God to get him ready for the big ask that's coming from Esther. As Haman comes into the room that morning, he's gotta be feeling good about himself. He's just built this huge gallows to kill this guy finally. And right before Haman can ask the king about Mordecai, the king has something urgent he needs to know. What should be done for that guy that saved my life? I wanna honor him. And the very man that Haman wants to kill, the king now wants to recognize and have the people admire. Haman says, royal garments, the king's horse, a royal crown on his head, and then go around saying, this is what the king does for the man he wants to honor. I mean, this is almost too good to be true, right? Keep in mind that the king has already signed that decree to kill all of the Jews, and now he wants to honor one. I really believe it's a partial softening of his heart for what Esther is about to ask him. Psalm 16, verse seven says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isn't that beautiful? Xerxes has just made peace with a man that he has decreed to kill. The king loves Haman's idea, says, boom, go do it and don't waste any time. I love this. Haman takes Mordecai out, does all Uh, This proclaims about the guy that he wants to kill, but he's saying this, this will thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And as Shelby Turner says in that great book my wife is reading, instead of taking Mordecai's life, Haman is forced to celebrate it. Oh! Psalm 2 says this, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers to take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I love this part. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You ever thought about that? God's like, are you joking me? (laughs) Right? He who sits in the heavens laughs. Haman made a big mistake in all of this. Haman forgot that the Jews were God's chosen people. Haman's wife and his wise men told him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him. You're going to fall. So in fighting against the Jews and trying to destroy them, Haman is actually fighting against God. I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched fight night, you know, like a fight night, like a boxing match or something like that, but they always do this thing called the tail of the tape. Have you guys ever seen the tail of the tape? We got a picture of that. We got a tail of the tape here, I think. Yeah, here we go. That's Haman the Agagite on the left, okay? He's got a pretty good streak going. He's 3-0 right now. He's got the king's favor. He's second in command of all the Persians. He managed to pass an edict in all 127 provinces to kill all the Jews. I'm gonna call him 30 years old. We'll we'll be generous. He's probably 5'4", 145, but he's really wiry, okay? He's a tough guy. We give him pretty long reach there, 68 inches, but when you realize what his wife realized, which is you're actually fighting against the God of the universe, there's a few things you need to remember about him. He's eternal. He's never gonna die. First Kings 8 verse 27 says this, the heaven nor the heaven of heavens can contain him. And he doesn't really have a weight, he's spirit, but Hebrews 1 says he upholds all things by the power of his word. In his reach, astronomers are telling us that like the universe is still expanding. I think it just is like infinity, right? I mean, you can't fight against God. He is undefeated. And that's who we end up fighting against when we fight against God's people. We win in the end. I always remind my friends. I have friends that are in certain places in the world, in West Africa, where there's persecution and where people lose their lives for their faith in the gospel and spreading of the gospel. If you've been keeping up with what's going on in India and northeastern India, there's a lot of persecution. And I always remind myself, we win in the end. Our God is undefeated, and he's moving all things toward his ends and his purposes. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Haman is humbled. The world has always wanted to destroy the people of God, but ultimately the world will be humbled. The Bible tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Proverbs 16, verse five says this, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. This is Haman's future. Now we have to stop here because we need a cliffhanger for next week. I mean, what's going to happen to Haman? It's what we're all wondering, right? But as we reflect, and we're going to move to a time of closing here, where the, the the altar will be opened, and we always do this. It's it's really a tradition in our church, right? Um, for you to reflect and be thoughtful about what has been taught this morning. What is God teaching you? Do you? know someone who needs prayer. Maybe they're lost and they don't know Jesus. Maybe their pride has gotten in the way of them accepting Christ and following through. Maybe they look a little more like Xerxes and Haman than Esther and Mordecai. And that's what I would ask you to do this morning. It's a healthy thing to do this. Scholars tell us in the parables of Jesus, when you read a parable, try on everybody's shoes in the parable, right? Meaning this, Become those characters for a moment and say, which one do you resemble the most? Xerxes, drunk with power, unpredictable, angry one moment, kind the next, demanding and harsh. Try those shoes on for just a minute. Haman, self obsessed, narcissistic, never fulfilled, never complete, it's never enough, only happy. When in the spotlight, try those shoes on. Mordecai: patient, prayerful, trusting, active in his faith, encouraging but not compromising. Esther, courageous, thoughtful, careful, prayerful, sacrificial. I'm gonna ask our prayer counselors to come forward and maybe there's one aspect of those person's character that you're struggling with or maybe you would like to be more like. This is the time for you to respond. We have men who can pray with men and women who can pray with women and come forward during this time. The altar's open. Please stand. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna have this invitation time. Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us in this room. If there's any of these characteristics that would be displeasing to you, Lord, where we're just walking in the flesh, we pray, God, that you would root that out of our lives, that you would make it clear to us, and that you would change us by the power of your spirit. We also want to thank you for great examples like Mordecai and Esther. Not perfect people. Esther was definitely scared. Didn't want to do it. If she would have followed her heart, like our culture told her, she wouldn't have never said a word. But Lord, she followed you. We pray we would be more like her today, but most of all, like Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for our sins, for giving your life for ours, the just for the unjust. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that needs to make a decision for you to follow Jesus like we saw this morning. Public baptism, where they've said, you know what, we have followed Jesus, now we wanna make that public. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, we pray that you'd be moving in their heart and bring them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.